Father, thank you so much for the day. Uh, Lord, we, we remember today uh, because in our country's recent history, lives were lost and heroes sacrificed and it is right and honorable for us to remember it. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray, Lord, that you will You'll be the God of this land and the God of this people. You are the one who sets up kings and kingdoms and you're the one who tears them down. Your word says that holy is the nation whose God is the Lord. May we as a people and may we as a church, your church, have you as Lord of our life, remembering who you are, what you have done, and letting you be ruler of our life. And I pray that your hand will be on us as a church and that your hand will also be on our country. We do pray for blessing for this country. We pray for the ultimate blessing that we are a country that knows that you are God, that knows that you are in control, and that is submissive to you as God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. You know, it is right for us to remember 9-11. It's an honorable thing to do. Uh, we remember the sacrifice of heroes, and we remember the tragedy of lives lost. And we remember that we remember it because lives were changed. Today, I want to draw our attention to remembering the works of God. Not, not, in the, not necessarily in our own country's recent history, but rather to remember the works of God in our church and to remember the work of God in the nation of Israel. So what I want to encourage you to do, invite you to do right now, is to imagine that you've been transported back in time to an era when there weren't electric lights and indoor plumbing, a time when movies and mobile screens weren't even a fantasy yet, a time when people went to bed soon after dark and got up when the rooster crowed. Can we think back that way? Can we imagine that kind of a time? Now imagine that you and your family have a small cabin on some farmland. Imagine that you've spent most of the day working the land, working in the fields, pulling weeds, tilling soil, planting seed, repairing fences, feeding the animals. You put in a, you put in a hard day's work. You're ready to relax. As the sun is on its way down, you and your family finish a great meal of roasted chicken, mixed vegetables, homemade bread, and cider to drink. The fire is cheerful. It's crackling. You've got lamps and lanterns lit lit through your house. You and your family go and you sit around the fireplace on the comfortable stuffed leather furniture that your dad made or maybe was inherited from your mom's parents. Perhaps at this time, you might want to read a book. Does that sound like a good thing to do? Or perhaps you and your family might play a game or two. But tonight's different. Tonight... Your dad pulls a large book off the shelf and he begins to read these words. My people, 
Hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. Would you be intrigued? Would you listen a little more closely? Maybe lean in a little bit so you caught every word? Or perhaps you would think, Oh man, I hope this goes quickly. I know as a kid when my dad would take the Bible off the shelf, sometimes I would think that. I hope this goes quickly. Your dad continues to read from Psalm 78 verse 5. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose, whose spirits were not faithful to him. The scripture I'm reading to you this morning was written to remind families of God's glorious deeds, of his might and the wonders that he has done. And when families would read this psalm together, the objective is that the next generation would learn and know God's word. So that generation would in turn teach them to the next generation. Grandparents would teach, their, teach the parents when the parents were children. The parents would teach their children and the children would grow up and in turn have kids and teach their kids about God's word. How? By teaching of God's amazing works. And the purpose of it all? so that they wouldn't be rebellious toward God, but instead would be loyal to him. So let's go back to the fireplace. Our cabin. Dad's reading God's word from Psalm 78. And he gets to verse 9. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt in the region of Zoan. So here's an example. The men of Ephraim, they were armed and experienced warriors. They turned back on the day of battle. Why did they turn back? Because they became afraid. They refused to obey God, and they forgot the wonders that God had done. So what were some of those wonders? Well, you probably know about the Exodus. You know about Moses. Israel was a stranger in the land not, that wasn't their own for 400 years. The nation of Israel was enslaved by Pharaoh, and God raised up a deliverer, a reluctant leader. Moses did not seek out the job. He didn't want the job. And through many signs and wonders, God waged war on Pharaoh and Egypt through plagues. Israel didn't have to fight at all. But you know what? When they finally left Egypt, 
they, the Israelites, they plundered, they took the treasures of, of the Egyptians. They took those treasures. They took the supplies with them. So this is what we're being reminded of in Psalm 78. We're going back to Psalm 78, verse 13 and 14. God divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and with light from the fire all night. This is the wondrous work of God. This is the wonderful work of God that I want to remember with you this morning. God guided Israel with a cloud by day and with a fire, light from a fire all night long. So let's explore. I'm going to take you on a lengthy journey this morning. We're going to look all through Scripture this morning about the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And we're going to start in Exodus 13. Verse 17 of Exodus 13, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that way was shorter. For God said, If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, ready for battle. When God rescued and led Israel out of Egypt to take them to the promised land, he didn't take them by a direct route. Do you see why? It says in verse 17, God said, if the people face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. What does this tell you about God? What does it tell you about God being on his throne and being able to do whatever he wants? For me, it shows that there are times when God intervenes knowing what could happen. And when God intervenes in my life, when God intervenes in your life, it's for our own good. The the long route to the promised land wasn't the quickest, but it was the best. So verse 18 says, God led them. God had a destination in mind. And he had a path prepared. So let's just look here. Look at a quick map. I don't know if you can see that there. Um, But if you were leading, or if I were leading Israel from Egypt to Canaan, we would start out on the northwest side here where it says Lower Egypt, and we would go straight across the top by the Mediterranean Sea, straight into Canaan. That's where the promised land is. Direct route. But you know how God took them? Let's look at the next slide. He took them from the northwest side over here, Egypt, all the way down between the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aqaba and back up towards the Mediterranean Sea and then back down again and all the way around. And they actually got into the promised land, not from the west traveling east, but from the east traveling west. Why? Because God said that was best. And specifically, because he knew if they faced war, they would turn back on the day of battle. So God led them. Exodus 13, verses 21 through 22. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So by day, the Lord would lead them in a pillar of cloud. 
by night and a pillar of fire to give them light. You know, it had to have been enough light at night so that they could travel at night and not stumble. It makes me think of Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Another observation. You see the last verse up there on the screen? The fire, the cloud, never left its place in front of the people. Well, you know what happens next, right? After Israel leaves Egypt, God hardens Pharaoh's heart again. And Pharaoh leads his army in pursuit of the Israelites. The Israelites become trapped at the Red Sea with the sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them. Panic sets in. Israel doesn't know what they're going to do. The people start complaining to Moses. So in Exodus 14, verse 13, Moses answers the people. He, he, he speaks to God. God talks to him. Moses answers the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord, that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. It just, crack, I, it just cracks me up that God is telling Moses, why didn't you think of this before? This is how it's going to happen. Why haven't you done this already? It's like, this is, I, I'm God. I'm powerful. You're my leader. Go, lead them. Where else do I want you to go? Right through the sea. So, we'll keep reading. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And then verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. So here's, here's why I think God was like, why aren't you going through the sea? Because the pillar of fire and cloud was already in front of Israel and it was moving towards the sea, leading them into the sea. And the people of Israel are like, no, we're not going there. So Moses talks to God. God says, stretch your staff over the, over the water. You'll see what's going to happen. And now at this point, the pillar of fire and cloud will jump back in. It, it moves from in front of the people of Israel, now behind the people of Israel. Verse 20, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Some observations. The pillar moved when the angel of God moved. It makes me wonder, this is just a thought, I don't, I don't know that the verses are saying this, but it makes me wonder if it could be that the pillar was the visible presence of God. In fact, I would, I personally think that the pillar of fire and cloud was a manifestation of God himself. The pillar of fire and cloud was a way to see God without actually seeing him. Another observation. 
I think it's a really cool description in verse, in verse 20. For the Egyptians, it was a cloud and darkness. For the Israelites, it was a fire and a light. At the same time, the cloud provided both darkness and light. I just think that's cool. So we'll keep reading. Verse four, chapter 14, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Again, we see the visible manifestation of the Lord in these verses. And here's my first point for today. God is someone to be followed. But he is also someone to be feared. So I want to continue leading us on the journey of remembering the pillar of fire and cloud. So let's go ahead 10 chapters to Exodus 24. Exodus 24, verse 15. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on top of the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and, and 40 nights. Do we learn anything about the pillar of fire and cloud from these verses? How did it appear to Moses on the mountain? like a cloud. How did it appear to the Israelites like a devouring fire? God is someone to be trusted, but he's also someone to be obeyed. He is someone who will protect, but he's also someone to be feared. One more thing I want you to see from the verses we just read. The cloud is described in verse 16 as the glory of the Lord. We'll get to how the description of the glory of the Lord is significant in a, in a little bit. But first, I wanted to know, I, I got to thinking, when and if the pillar of fire and cloud ever left the Israelites. You remember back in Exodus 13, it said, neither the pillar of fire, pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. But it's not there right now, right? And it didn't seem to be visible during the days of Joshua. So when did the pillar of fire and cloud leave? Did it? Did it ever go away? So we're going to jump ahead a bunch of chapters to Exodus chapter 40. And there are a couple of things that I want to see here. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. 
So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So from these verses, we continue to explore this idea of the pillar of fire and cloud. And we see here that it's called the glory of the Lord again. And Israel would follow it when it moved. When it was stationary, they would stay put. And again, it says it was visible during all of their travels. But once they made it to the promised land, it seems that their journeys were over. And we really don't see scripture telling us much more about the pillar of fire and cloud. Or do we? So we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 8. About 480 years later. Here's the context. 480 years since Israel left Egypt. David's son Solomon is on the throne of Israel in Jerusalem. David had wanted to build a temple for the Lord. He said, it's not right that God should live in a tent. He needs a temple. He needs a, a, a beautiful building for him to be in. But God told him that Solomon would be able to build the temple, and so Solomon did. And up until this time, the Israelites were still using the tabernacle, a tent. So, 1 Kings 8, verse 5. And King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark and its carrying poles. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So God leads Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years. He's visibly leading them with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Israel is led into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. They go in from the east side rather than the west side, a really indirect route rather than a direct route because they're following the Lord. And once they come into the promised land, we don't have record of the pillar of fire and cloud until 440 years later when Solomon builds and dedicates a temple and the priests bring the ark into the temple, into the holy place. Then the cloud, the glory of the Lord, fills the temple. And God is demonstrating his approval with the temple by a manifestation of his presence with the cloud. And he so filled the temple that the priests couldn't carry out their work. Okay? I'm giving you mile markers. I'm taking you on a journey. Stick with me. I know this is a lot. But we're remembering. We're remembering the wonderful works of the Lord. This is going somewhere, I promise you. About 450 years after this, Ezekiel 10. Ezekiel is a Jewish prophet who's in captivity in Babylon. This is about 400 to 500 years after Solomon dedicated the temple. God is still at work. He's still active. But as Israel and Judah have turned their backs on God, God has allowed the people of Israel to be attacked, to be conquered by foreign armies, and the people to be taken into captivity. Ezekiel is God's prophet. And all the way over in Babylon, far, far away from Israel, he has a vision. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 1. I, Ezekiel, looked, 
and I saw the likeness of a throne of lapis lazuli above the vault. That's really, really blue stone. Above the vault that was over the heads of the cherubim. So, so Ezekiel is having this vision, and he's seeing these creatures that he's calling cherubim. They're angelic beings, but they're not angels the way that we think of cherubim, you know, the little babies with wings flying around. These are terrifying-looking creatures. Um, and, and we could go into description, but I'm already... This is already a long message, so we're just going to keep going about the cher- we're, we're going to keep going here. He sees the cherubim. Verse two: The Lord said to the man clothed in linen, "Go in among the wheels beneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with burning coals from among the cherubim, and scatter them over the city." Talking about Jerusalem. And as I watched, he went in. Verse three: Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple. This is Solomon's temple. When the man went in. And a cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved. The cherubim were between the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Place. Okay. The glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple and the court was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. The sound of the wings of the cherubim could be heard as far away as the outer court like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. So what did Ezekiel just see? Because of Israel's rejection of God, the glory of the Lord moves away from the holy place to the doorway of the temple. That happened in Ezekiel 10, verse 4. Now Ezekiel continues to have this vision. So we're going to skip ahead to verse 15. Then the cherubim rose upward. These were the living creatures I had seen by the Kibar River in Babylon. When the cherubim moved... The wheels beside them moved, and when the cherubim spread their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels did not leave their side. When the cherubim stood still, they also stood still. And when the cherubim rose, they rose with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in them. Verse 18, Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground, and as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. So what Ezekiel's seeing here now is that the glory of the Lord left the doorway of the temple and stopped over the cherubim, and the cherubim, with the glory of the Lord above them, fly to the gate of the temple. And the vision continues. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. The people of Jerusalem have said of your fellow exiles and all the other Israelites, they are far from the Lord. This land was given to us as our possession. Therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Although I sent them far away from among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered. And I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts are devoted to their vile images and detestable idols, I will bring down on their own heads what they have done declares the sovereign lord then the cherubim 
with the wheels beside them, spread their wings, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylon in the vision given by the Spirit of God. Then the vision I had seen went up for me, and I told the exiles everything the Lord had shown me. Okay, so many verses there. So many words that I've just spoken. Thank you for sticking with me. I know this is long. I know this is like a big lecture. We're going somewhere. Ezekiel heard hope. Ezekiel heard hope. One day, God will gather his people from where where they are scattered all over the globe and give them the land of Israel again. God will give them an undivided heart with a new spirit in them. He will remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. This is a miracle. What is described in these verses is the gospel. But what else did Ezekiel see? Although Ezekiel heard hope, he still saw the glory of the Lord leave from the middle of the city and then fly to the horizon on the east side of Jerusalem. Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord, the same glory of the Lord that had taken, led Israel through the wilderness into the promised land, that had filled the temple in Solomon's day. Move, he saw the glory of the Lord move from above the Ark of the Covenant, between the cherubim, to the threshold of the temple, from the threshold of the temple to the edge of the temple, and from there, outside the city. And that grieved Ezekiel. There's hope, but it's sad. If I were Ezekiel, I would also be grieved. But I'm not. And I know the rest of the story. This is not the last that we hear of the glory of the Lord. About 600 years after this, I told you this is a big one. <laughs> About 600 years after this, we're now in the New Testament. We're going to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. Do you know what's happening here? Why is the glory of the Lord visible? Because Jesus was on earth. God was with man. Jesus, God, the man himself. Here are some of his words also from Luke. This is Jesus. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, maybe you're wondering, what what do these verses have to do with the pillar of fire and cloud? What do these verses have anything to do with the glory of the Lord? Well, 
I mean, think about that. Do you remember why the glory of the Lord left the temple and left Jerusalem? Because the people refused to follow their God. But now, God, Jesus, is with mankind. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be with God, if you want to see the glory of God, then you need to be willing to follow Jesus with everything. But that's not the only reason I'm showing these verses. The very next verse, verse 28. About eight days after this, Jesus said, or Jesus said this, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter and John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, The appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men standing with him, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter didn't know what he was saying. Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So the cloud The glory of the Lord, we see it again. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John see Jesus for who he really is. One more passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is saying this. This is after Jesus has died, buried, rose again, ascended back into heaven. The early church is being formed. Paul writes a letter to the church at Corinth. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? What these verses are talking about, what's this ministry of death? So ministry of death versus ministry of the Spirit. Really quickly, the ministry of death is the ministry of the law. That which teaches us that we're sinners that we break God's law, that we're unable to keep God's law, and that we need a rescuer. This law was written on letters of stone. It's the Ten Commandments. The ministry of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit, the law written on our hearts. Remember the hope that Ezekiel had? I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. This is where we're at. 2 Corinthians 3.9, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? So you know what's being said here? In Christ, we're slaves of righteousness. In Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin. And that's a whole other sermon for Romans 6, which would be shorter. This ministry is glorious, and it gets better. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, for what was glory... What was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? What are these verses talking about? It's talking about the old way of living by the law versus the new way of living by the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the old way of trying to keep the commandments versus the new way of letting Christ be our righteousness. We're going to keep going. Therefore, since we have such a hope, We are very bold. We are not like Moses 
who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the very same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. And if you belong to the Lord, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. The glory of the Lord the pillar of fire and cloud that led Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness, divided the Red Sea, filled the temple, was present when Jesus came to earth, was present when Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is the glory of the Lord that is inside of every believer now and is changing every believer into exactly who God wants you to be. This is truth. This is amazing truth that God is in us, and it should result in our boldness. We should not shrink back, but we should press on and be bold to keep seeking the Lord. Remember the Lord. The result of seeking God and knowing him and knowing him more and more is that God in us will change us into ever-increasing glory. So what? Whenever I say so what, you know I'm wrapping up. (laughs) Why? would we go on this very, very, very long journey through like half of the Bible just to remember the pillar of fire and cloud? You guys have been so patient. Thank you. I know this is a lot of words. Thank you. Remember. Remember that God does not change. Remember that God is someone to be followed. Remember that God is someone to be obeyed. Remember that God is someone to be feared. To remember that the God of Moses and Solomon and Ezekiel, and Peter, and James, and John is the God of Valley Community Church. To learn that the glory that was visible in the pillar of cloud and fire is the glory that is within each believer. And since we have this hope, We can be very bold. We ought to be challenged this morning to be bold in our seeking the Lord. And the result is our transformation into who God wants us to be. Ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And that is awesome. Let's meditate on it and let's remember it.
Father, thank you for this journey. Thank you, God, that you are the Holy Spirit, that you did lead Israel, and that you are leading us. You haven't changed. And your command to us to follow you hasn't changed. May we see you because we look for you. May we follow you because we love you. And help us to remember who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.